There are some times when texts of scripture are read and it's almost as if you would say, we need to say nothing more. There's just such a, there's just such a power in this text this morning. We're gonna, I'm going to say something more. It is, it is Mother's Day and social media is filled with all sorts of oper- uh, examples of, of moms, right? Kid president, um, he's got something to say as a tribute to a mom and kid president is, is always good and funny and engaging. In fact, I thought just a little bit about starting this out with kid president talking about moms. But there's a better thing to do in, that's out in social media and out actually in our, our, our uh, story as a nation that has to do with being a mom. In fact, there is a Mother of the Year candidate that has been out there. Perhaps you've heard of Toya Graham. And I want to show you a picture of this Mother of the Year. There, there she is. Who, who hasn't seen this one, right? In an interview, she said she hoped her pastor wasn't watching the video. <laughs> So, uh, but, but uh, just, just this, this powerful, powerful uh, episode in the midst of uh, great uh, uh, tragedy and concern. But this young man, uh, 16 years old, had worked up the nerve to stand up to the police. And you've seen some of these policemen, right, with the, the shields and all of the stuff on. And he had finally worked up the nerve to stand up in front of this line of policemen with a brick in his hand. When his mom noticed those baggy pants and recognized that she probably had washed them, and she just chases her son down. Now, this is a a cut from the video, so it's not really clear, but maybe you've seen it. But here's his son, and just all dressed up to just be a force to stand up to the police, and he runs away from his mom. I mean, you just see it in the video. This guy, this poor kid, he doesn't know what to do. It's, it's his mom. He knows what to do with a police officer. He doesn't know what to do when it comes to his mom. New York Post had this front page piece of it. Bring in the moms. <laughs> There's something to that, isn't there? You know, bring in the moms. And I would say bring in everybody's mom. Everybody's. Those that are involved in law enforcement, those that are involved in the community other ways, everybody's mom. Let's just bring all of the moms in there and let's see what happens in the context of life when it's no longer about status. It has to do with law and rights and authority and it has to do with family. Imagine everyone with his or her mom there. What would be the difference in Baltimore if the moms had shown up. This helps us illustrate the powerful influence of moms. In fact, there's just a 30-second clip of Toya's interview with somebody, and I'd just like to show you just a, that 30 seconds. Is he the perfect boy? No, he's not, but he's mine. I'm just grateful that I was able to get him home. And we actually sit back and we watch the news and everything. And he had Facebook friends and everybody, you know, making comments saying, you know, you shouldn't be mad at your mother. You should give her a hug. And by him seeing everything was going on, I just hope, I'm not sure, but I hope 
that he understand the seriousness of what was going on last night. And one of the things that this young man understood was how good it was that his mom was there to influence him in such a way that he made choices that now he is grateful for. In fact, his friends say, you should be grateful for a relationship with a mom like that. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a mother thing, and so that's why we're celebrating Mother's Day today. Um, but it's more than that. It's about a relationship where another person's life matters at least as much as ours does. That's the power of a mom. This realization, even in the midst of not getting along or all of the other stuff that goes with it that makes it messy sometimes, is there is a person who has determined that my life matters more than theirs does. In the sense of we're family, I'm going to give whatever it takes. I'm going to do whatever is necessary to make sure this person is safe, grows up, understands, moves forward, grows into maturity, lives a life that they will be grateful for and those around them will be grateful for as well. It's just the power of that. Some may have a badge or outward authority. This person has a personal connection with me, a priceless share in my life. If a law person uh, defends my rights, I appreciate that. But family, they defend me to the end. I, I might get, he certainly got a few bruises along the way. But there is just a sense that this young man had, I'll take the bruises. I will take the bruises because I want to live in a relationship like that. In the epistle of Galatians, Paul is taking time to illustrate and to exhort people to understand the weaknesses of the law, of status and authority that comes from the outside and tells us what to do. And then he wants to let people be reminded again of the strength of the gospel. There's a difference between rules and authority and living with all of that and the gospel and living into the reality of that. The power of the gospel is found in what it creates. And what the gospel creates is described here. It is a freedom that is found in the Christian life. And the nature of the Christian life is family. That's what he's saying here. The nature of the Christian life is family. I want to go three places with this this morning. I want to talk about what it means for us to become a family, what it means for us to belong to a family, and what it means for us to behave like a family. I want to hit those three things and, and we're done. The first part of it is this. We become a family. Notice the concluding paragraph, perhaps again. To become a follower of Christ, in verse 5, we learn this, is that we might receive the adoption to sonship. We actually become adopted. Now, the New Testament teaches this often and in other places, but Paul's all about us understanding freedom. And if we don't understand adoption, we're not going to get the freedom piece of it what it means to live life that way. Adoption was understood in that society, and I think probably in ours as well. It implies this, that a person receives in all legal respects the equality to 
any other child that is born biologically in the context of that family. They are equal to any other child. They have the same name. They have the same position. They have the same rights. They have the same inheritance. And that's what Paul was talking about here. He's saying, first of all, we are, we are married into, we are, we are, in, we, we are uh, adopted by a pretty, incredibly wealthy family. I mean, this, this father, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He, he made the world. What do you think your inheritance is going to be? You're splitting it with a lot of people, though. <laughs> but there is just a sense of to be heirs. If you're going to be adopted into a family, it's a bonus if it's a well-off family. And this is a well-off family. And this is what happens with inheritance. I know it. My mom died just two years ago. And when she died, she split up the inheritance and it went four ways, all equally. Now, I just think mom blew it on that one. I'm her favorite. I expected just at least a few percentage points more than that. But you see, it's a family. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Look at the person next to you. The shares are equal. We're all part of a family, and we are heirs to the Father's uh, possessions. Family is not about favoritism. Family is not about achievements. It is offered equally to every child. There are no second-class citizens in this community. There's no one that sits in the shadows. There's no one that has rights of seniority. We're family. We're family, and we are all heirs. The irony here is that, is that the Galatian believers are, are moving away from that. There's something so incredibly freeing about being family. It's just like, just calm down, relax your family. Don't get uptight. Don't be worried about how things are going to go. Your family. Isn't there something freeing about that? And the Galatians are just moving away from that. In fact, we see a rather dramatic shift in focus even in this text. In verses 23 through 25, there's this reference to we, we, we. And look what happens in 26. It goes to you, you, you. The we, Paul is speaking to those who are caught up in their Jewish traditions and their laws. They're, they're locked up in it. And Paul says, what are we doing? What are we doing? And then he refers to the Gentiles that are part of the Galatian church as well. And he speaks of their privileged position simply because they're in Christ. So you pick one. Well, we can can pick. We can go way back in our heritage and our story. And we can just decide to go back to it. But why don't we go with all of the rest of them? And why don't we embrace what it means to be part of of the family of Jesus Christ, to be adopted into that. Who wants to live a locked up life, an enslaved life? You know, one of the questions that has been asked, uh, you know, you, you, you live out your Christian life, but here's the question. Would anybody want that life? I mean, is it just enslaved, locked up, got to do this, got to do that, not sure if I'm, uh, uh, I'm measuring up or not? Who wants that life? Paul, Paul says, Why would we go back to that? Why don't we embrace the reality of what's true here? 
there's this reference to guardian, and the guardian here means enforcer. In that culture, the guardian was the one who made sure that the kids got up, walked to school, and paid attention while the lessons were being taught. That's what guardian means here. Do you want that? I mean, maybe you had to have that when you were a kid. Do you, do you actually want that anymore? And then we go back to Galatians chapter 4. And even if a child starts out that way, it's not the goal. And we see this progression towards maturity of sons. There's a person who's, be, who's underage, and, and obviously they're in the context of this guardian relationship. But guess what? They come of age, and they have full rights of sonship. They're absolutely part of the family. There's this movement towards membership in a family. Here's Paul's warning. The church can become nothing more than an organization with rules, org charts, and rewards for achievements. Who's going to get the employee of the month parking spaces? The church can become that. Does anybody really want to go back there? We are called to be family. And this call to be family isn't something that we can walk into in deeper relationship with Christ. It's the character of who we are. It's not an additional attainment in religious life or Christian life. We walk in the door. We walk in the door. Christ comes into our life. And he calls us sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. Day one. Day one. We become family. And the second thing that we see here is that we belong to a family. To be a Christian is to be joined to a family. And, and Paul describes the members of the family here. There's the father. It's interesting that in, in verse 6 of chapter 4, there's this Abba father. And Abba is the word father in Aramaic. And uh, Aramaic was the language that you just grew up with as kids. It was just common language. It was kind of like just as personal as it would get. You know, and, and even this distinction you know, from one language to another, we still have that or can understand what it is Paul's trying to say in some ways to us. I mean, you have a person who says to you, let me introduce you to the father of our family. Or someone says, hey, I want you to meet my dad. That's what Paul is getting to here. He's a a father, but he's dad. It's an Aramaic term, and it is loaded with an expression of affection and confidence and loyalty. In fact, the Lord's Prayer uses this dad, translated father, but it's the Aramaic dad. In fact, even in Greek language churches in the early church, they would consistently insert Aramaic when they talked about the Father. I want you to know what it means to belong to this family. Dad's here. And all of what that means in regards to affection and confidence and and loyalty. So there's that family relationship with Dad. And then there's a family relationship that we see here with Christ, and we're brothers and sisters. How do we become brothers and sisters with Jesus the Messiah? We see how it happens here. 
We see it in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 3. Verse 26, through faith in Christ. It's not works, it's not employee of the month that gets you in the door. It's a gift that is given through, through mere faith. Through simple faith, it says, in Christ. And then goes on in verse 27 to talk about being baptized into Christ and then clothed with Christ. And you might see this is a curious setup of, of, of these phrases. Uh, most scholars look at this and they say that this appears to be the language of the early liturgy of baptism in the early church. This is actually part of the liturgy that was followed. This person has come to faith in Christ. This, is, this person is baptized into Christ. This person is now clothed with Christ. And it seems that in some of the early Christian churches, as a person would come out of the baptistry, there would be this white robe waiting for them, and they would be clothed in robes of righteousness, reference back to Old Testament references of being clothed with righteousness, with salvation, with strength, and with glory. It was a ceremony of re-robing after baptism. Baptism is the initial union with Christ to where the robe is to be clothed in the moral perfection of Christ, not myself, through faith. This is even expressed in one of those hymns that for many of us is familiar and perhaps a favorite, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. I've been thinking about this all week long. I think we need to bring back robes. When our friends walk out of the baptistry and that they get to just take it home with them and put it on over and over again and be reminded, I'm a part of family. I'm a part of a family dressed in his righteousness alone. Faultless to stand before his throne. So part of the family is dad, the father. Another member of the family is Jesus Christ, our brother. And then there's another member of the family, and it's the Holy Spirit. And we're going to get to the Holy Spirit just, in, uh, just a little bit further down. You can, as you read through Galatians, we're going to get to the Holy Spirit here again. We'll see, soon see the power of this. But I want to mention to you that there's another part of the family. There's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit. There's this, the Trinity is, is, is the family we join. There's the Trinity, and then there are the rest of us uh, who comprise the unity. And this is where Paul goes with this. And as, it, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as belonging to the family, we belong to each other. In verse 28 of chapter 3, it says, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 29, we belong, we belong to Christ and we become the body of Christ. That's the other part of the family. It's us. This was a core affirmation of the church that we see here when we read verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one 
in Christ Jesus. In verses 26 and 27, we see described our new relationship with God. In verses 28 and 29, we see described our new social relationship with each other because we are in Christ. Relationship with God, relationship with one another. We belong to each other. We are all sons, daughters of God. This is, this is inflammatory language that Paul is using for a person who is devoutly Jewish because in their perspective, only, only the most devout Jews could attain the status of the title of sons of God. And Paul's just throwing it out there to anybody who has given their life to Jesus Christ. This is, this is dramatic to the first uh, readers of this letter that Paul writes. The reality of this is this, that the equality and unity of all in Christ is not an addition, it's not a tangent, or an op, uh, optional application of the gospel. They are part of the essence of the gospel. Gentiles here were being demoted to second class status because they were not Jews. And Paul is saying, if you do that, you have misunderstood the core elements of the gospel. It's scandalous here. It sounds a little bit like years ago when there was this legal doctrine separate but equal. How does that work? And Paul is just bringing this back home and say it doesn't. We all stand in unity together in the body of Christ. Jew and Gentile, slaves and free, men and women. F.F. Bruce, remarkable and widely regarded scholar of New Testament, puts it succinctly when he says this, No mere restriction is implied in Paul equalizing the status of male and female in Christ and in equalizing the status of Jew and Gentile or of slave and free person. If life in Christ is manifested openly in church fellowship, then a Gentile may exercise spiritual leadership in the church as freely as a Jew or a slave as freely as a citizen and a woman as freely as a man. This is what God is saying here about what it means for us to be in unity. You see, the church can become nothing more than an organization, but a disparate group of people can actually become family. They can actually become family. This is one of my appreciations of the church denomination that we're a part of recognize this very thing and assert that people will be called into ministry roles based on their giftedness, not based on their gender. That people will be called into ministry roles based on their giftedness, not based on their status in life. That people will be called into ministry roles based on their giftedness, not based on the color of their skin or their background. We are all one in Christ. And there's a freedom in that that we can live as family. So we become a family, we 
belong to a family. And then there's this third piece of it, and that is that we behave like a family. And here we talk about the implications of what it means to be a family. This is a big deal for us as a church as we're walking into what does our future look like and what is the vision for where God has us. And we're talking about what it means for us to reimagine a variety of things, reimagine worship, that it's not just what we always thought it was. It's, it's broader than that. And to reimagine our purpose and our calling. But we see in this text, just as folks on what does it mean for us to reimagine community? It means to become family like family Paul is describing here. This, this, this tight-knit relationship, this sense of I'll do whatever needs to be done for you. What does it mean for us to reimagine community? Let me spend a little bit of time here talking about some elements of what that looks like. We're going beyond the text here, but I don't think it's contrary to the text. Just talking about what are the implications of it. Well, we know this about families, healthy ones. They spend time together. They, they do. Family relationships are priors. Is there anybody here who said to their mom this weekend, you know, mom, love to be a part of it. I just got other stuff going on. You know? It's just not going to happen. Because there's a sense of what it means to be family. That family relationships are priority. That we get together with each other on a regular basis. In Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews says, don't forget about, don't forsake getting together with others. And it's more than just in a gathering like this when you're all looking at me. But we're connected with each other. In fact, this is why we have such a strong emphasis developing in regards to small groups. And here's the challenge for us and for me to sit together with my small group and look at them and ask myself this question. How can I correct the notion that when I look at them, I think about them like they're just friends or small group participants? What will it take for me to look at them and regard them as family? That's the calling that we have. To get together with people in our church family and regard them as family. And if they're family, that small group meeting isn't just another appointment in the calendar. It's, well, family's getting together. God's longing for us to experience the freedom found in the context of family and it doesn't happen if we can't figure out what it means to be family with each other and to learn to regard each other in that way. Some of our strongest small groups, they eat meals together. You know, there's just something about that where it's going beyond getting together for a conversation. We're actually uh, experiencing life together and we're eating meals together. And we understand that not all small groups can do it, but it is a great tool to, in, 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 to foster this notion. And not just in small groups, but, but look around. Here we are, we're family. Uh, who, who do you want to share a meal together with? Obviously not, not, not for lunch. I'm not going to intrude on that one. But this week or next week, to learn to be family, to put the disciplines in our life to be able to do that. There's another aspect about families. Families are there when someone is in trouble. Just yesterday, my, uh, one of my daughters, her car broke down. And uh, she needed help. 
Well, guess what I did? I dropped everything right there and I, I went out the door and I, I got my hands dirty because my daughter needed me. That's what families do. God, help me to think about all of you that way. For us to be family that are there when someone is in trouble. Another aspect of what it means to be family. Family members are embraced just simply because they're family. I think of my family gatherings. You know, I think of Uncle Tom. Um, Uncle Tom was... um, Uncle Tom was a character. And Uncle Tom always had stuff going on. I mean, in a place where fireworks were illegal, Uncle Tom supplied the whole family with them. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) You know, he had, although I never really kind of got it, but, you know, there were just kind of these glances about what Uncle Tom was involved in now. And uh, it's a great story. I'd love to tell it to you sometime. But you know what? It didn't matter what Uncle Tom was involved in now. He came through the door, and he was Uncle Tom. And there we were, eating together, loving each other, investing in people's lives, even when Uncle Tom wouldn't tell us what his whole life was like. He was family. And I think of Aunt Marion. Aunt Marion, I lived with her for a year, and my grandma in Minneapolis when I went to the University of Minnesota and Grandma and I, we would just kind of, when, when Aunt Marion would bring the meal to the table, we would just kind of look at it and say, oh, no. <laughs> she had so many things going on in her life. Being a cook was not one of them. <laughs> and we would go get together for family gatherings, and you always knew what Aunt Marion brought to the table. And it just kind of got avoided, just like that. <laughs> but you know what? She was family. Doesn't matter. She's family and she's treated like family god says we're family we are now we got to figure out how to live into that because that's what we're meant to be family members step in and take bricks out of each other's hands we we recognize the pants and we run to the person and we protect them. That's what family does. There is something ever powerful about family. For those that miss us in life, we're called to become that for them in Christ. Two stories and I'm done. I had an opportunity to meet just a couple weeks ago hang out with Glanny Weehy. Many of you know Glanny and Leonard. Leonard went home to be with the Lord a while back. And Glanny is just an extraordinary person. And uh, we were talking together about their life. And Glanny and Leonard were never able to have kids. But as we were just sitting there in her living room, all of a sudden a twinkle came to her eye and she said, I want you to see my grandkids. And she brought over photographs of her grandkids. Now, they're not technically her grandkids. You see, another family in this church adopted Leonard and Glanny and their family. They've become family. And they'll celebrate today, no doubt. Glanny has got 
grandkids. There's something that is beautiful about that. One more story. story about a granddad and a grandson sitting out on the front step of the house. And a person rolls up in a car and rolls the window down and says, you know, we're thinking about moving into this community, this, this town. What's this place like? And the granddad took the grass out of his mouth. I guess I can't use that anymore, can I? (laughs) (laughs) Got to rethink these things. And uh, he said, he said, well, what was it like where you came from? And the person said, you know, it was pretty tough. Nobody got along with each other. Just a lot of strife and gossip and all that. And the grandfather said, well, I suppose you'll find that this is pretty much just like that. He said, thanks, and drove off. And then somebody else came up and rolled the window down. This is where you know it's a story. <laughs> rolled the window down and said, hey, we're thinking about moving to this town. What's this place like? The grandfather said, well, what's it like where he came from? And he said, you know, it was a great place. We're going to miss it. It was, just, it was just like family. Everyone was so close with each other. And the fa- grandfather said, well, I expect you'll find it pretty much like that here too. Person rolled up his window, said thanks, rolled up his window and headed off. And you know, the grandson, just all about truth and justice, looks at his granddad and says, granddad, something you said was wrong. Which is it? And he says, it's both. It depends on what you've decided to make it. God decided to make a family. That's not up for debate. But God has called us to be that family. To step in and experience what it means to experience faith that comes in Christ baptism into Christ and be clothed in righteousness because of Christ and with all of one another. There is something so powerful about family. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this gospel. that you've invited us into that. God, we all long for it, and we pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of us being community together, we will encourage one another to live more and more like we were made to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.